So we are in John chapter 9 this morning, and we're going to start in verse 13. If you want to turn there, um, you can go ahead and do that now. And there's also Bibles in the back. If you guys don't have a Bible, feel free to, to grab one of those. Um, take it home with you if you want. Um, so this is the, the second half of uh, a message from John chapter 9 this morning. Last week we talked about the miracle that happened, this man born blind, and really hammered and, and lit on, spent a lot of time with the grace of God. And this guy's blind, and his disciples are walking by him, and they ask Jesus, hey, why is this guy blind? Was it because his mom and dad sinned, or because he sinned? And Jesus said, neither one. It was so that the, the works of God might be displayed in him. And we talked a lot of, last week about a lot of times we encounter grace and we want to explain it with something, or we, we encounter brokenness and we want to explain that with something. But ultimately, the point of grace, as it is applied, is not so that we might marvel in what, what has happened because of it, but that we might marvel because of the grace. So the work of God might be displayed in the life of this man. And so that's, that's, that was the heart of, of last week's message. This week, we're going to talk about the response of people to that grace. And self-righteousness is going to be everywhere. We're going to, there are basically four major players here. One, there's Jesus, obviously. And two, there's the man that's born blind. And they're sort of like peripheral players at this point. The main people that are in this story are the Pharisees and the parents of this man that's born blind. And their self-righteousness is shocked by the grace of God. And they don't know, no, they don't know what to do with it. But every time I, I, I get to, to preach and we talk about the Pharisees and we talk about self-righteousness, I want to give this disclaimer every time. Because from our perspective, especially who we are and where we've chosen to worship, we can really easily throw stones at pharisaical people or self-righteous people. And we wind up there a lot. But here's the thing about self-righteousness. You don't really know you're self-righteous when you're self-righteous. So be, be careful that we don't... Because here's what, here's what can and will happen with somebody here today. Wow, I can't believe those stupid Pharisees are that dumb. Why don't they believe like I believe? That's self-righteous. Stop it. And, and the thing that, that, like, that does to us is we can, we can connect with that belief system, but the way that that materializes itself with the way that we interact with our world changes us. And so what I hope this this message does today is that we don't like throw stones at the Pharisees and the parents of the man born blind and, and relate ourselves. We are the man born blind. We're not the Pharisees or we're not the parents. But I hope that somehow each of us would have our own self-righteousness like enlightened for us this week. Um, if you get, do you guys have your bulletins by you? Grab them. If you, if you have your bulletin by you. Um, one side says truth, the other side is people and God. I want you to turn to the side that says people and God. 
all right? Um, and every once in a while, I talk about this engaged God section. Every week on this bulletin, under the God section, it's in, there's something that says engage God, and it's designed for you to engage God Monday through Saturday about what we've been connecting with today, all right? And this week, it's really important because if, if you're here this morning, you have self-righteousness in you. You have everyone who's ever breath, breathed has self-righteousness in them, all right? And probably, most likely, that self-righteousness that you have inside of you, you have no idea. You're blind to it. That's where community comes in, and that's where this engaged God comes in. Spend some time early this week, like this afternoon or tomorrow morning, asking God to show you areas of your life where you are self-righteous. That's easy to do. Here's the hard part, the next sentence. Ask a trusted friend the same. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to say, hey, Rick, can you point out some areas in my life where I'm (laughs) self-righteous? Right. He said, just don't bother him with his. Which is perfect. Like, it's silly and we all chuckle about that. You know, that's church funny. (laughs) But it's true. Don't bother me with mine. But here's the thing. When we rid ourselves of our self-righteousness, you know what the product of that is? Five-letter word starts with a J. You're in church. Help. Jesus. Exactly. When we rid ourselves of our self-righteousness, the, the product of that is Jesus. So God has brought us together to live life close up together, and nobody knows you like the people that you spend your life with. Ask them a direct question. Where am I self-righteous? And then repent of that. And ask them to help you repent of that. Gather together frequently. Talk about it. It's really important. So that's the the self-righteous disclaimer that I want us to to connect with as we're walking through this morning. Um, There's a a clip that I I want to show you guys. Uh, Tim Keller is is teaching about self-righteousness. And uh, I was going to quote him, but it winds up being very long. It's like a minute long. So I decided, let's just show the video. So hit that, hit that video. So many people who think they're Christian, um, so many people who go to church, have no sense of the reality of God in their lives because they're looking at the fact that they live very good lives and they're basing their self-worth and their sense of value on their moral performance. And then Religion becomes the thing that actually saves them. Their religion and their morality, instead of Jesus, becomes their salvation. Now, if I asked you, you would probably say, oh, I know, Uh, I'm saved by faith in what Christ has done, not my good works. And if I gave you a test on justification by grace alone, through faith alone, uh, through the uh, substitutionary work of Christ alone you'd probably get 100% on that test. But that does not mean your heart believes it. Our hearts functionally go out into the world, and the way we do our daily life, the way we uh, relate to our work and relate to criticism and relate to other people, continues to be based on the operating principle of self-salvation. At the deepest level, our hearts say, if I'm good enough, If I'm kind enough, 
if I reach my standards and live up to them, then, and only then, am I valuable and significant. Like, there's, there's so much there. One of the things he says that our, our self-righteous behavior, our, our, who we are and who we think we are, like, plays itself out in how we respond to criticism. And, like, that's, that's so true. Our hearts go out into the world, and when the world happens to us, we try and change who we are so that people don't notice our unrighteousness and, and we don't throw ourselves onto the grace and mercy of God continually. And that's, like, that's a failure that we have. And so, and, and I think that the beautiful part that he says here is if we had a test on our salvation and, and where it comes from, it's by faith alone, through Christ alone, and we throw ourselves, and we could, we could do, get 100% on that test. But ultimately, what's happening in our world, as it, that knowledge somehow doesn't filter itself into what we do and how we interact with the world. Instead, our hearts gravitate towards trying to earn something, gain something, self-righteousness. And Jesus, here in the story, is picking on it. want to put this, the, the last thing that he says here, Keller says, at the deepest level, our hearts say, if I'm good enough, if I'm kind enough, if I reach my standards and live up to them, then and only then am I valuable and significant. I want to push this even farther because I think this is what Jesus is saying here or what we can take from where Jesus is interacting here. He says, not only if I am good, kind, good, kind, and live up to my standards, but if you are good enough and live up to my standards, then and only then are you valuable and significant. This is, this is us engaging the world, engaging our friendships, engaging our marriages, Engaging those whom we disciple, engaging our worlds, engaging other churches. Like this is picking on us here. This is self-righteous attitude that works itself out into who we are and what we do. If you live up to my standards, then you can have relationship with me. No, Jesus. What's this sermon about? Jesus. What's your life about? Jesus. What is self-righteousness really pointing you towards? Jesus. So let's get to the, the heart of, of the message. Uh, John chapter 9. There's going to be four interactions that we're going to deal with here. And so in, instead of walking through the whole thing, we're going to take them scene by scene, segment by segment. The first one that we see is the Pharisees interacting with this man that's born blind. Verse 13 says, They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus had made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Like, there's a big brouhaha happening here among these things. And what's missing here is that this dude was blind and he's not anymore. That's, that's really big. He was blind, he couldn't see, and now he can. And these people are worried about 
the who, the what, the when, the what. Celebrate the fact that God has intervened in this guy's brokenness. And let's worship there. And I want to encourage us as we interact with our world, look for the miraculous. How often do we stop and pause and reflect and see our sinfulness or a broken thing that happened and see God move? Um, They're not here this morning, but I've talked to them and and they're okay with me telling the story. John and Katie Jost, um, they're in Florida on vacation. A lot of you guys know the story that's happening. Katie's pregnant. They went to two ultrasounds and didn't hear a heartbeat. They were scared to death. Jen and I have had a couple of miscarriages. So it, 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 it breaks our heart when that happens. And there's a text thread after the first ultrasound that didn't reveal a heartbeat. And please pray. Please pray. Second text thread. Same thing. No heartbeat. Please pray. When was it? Megan, help me out. Thursday this week? Friday this week. They heard a heartbeat. And like we can get lost in like the fact that like there is a baby here. We can get lost in in being happy for John and Katie. We can get lost in, in so many different things we can get lost in. But there's a miracle even if like there was a baby all along, I don't, I don't know, I'm not a doctor, but whatever. The miracle of, of a human being growing inside of another human being is, is ridiculous. And it's worthy of celebration. And so I, I want, like, just kind of parenthetically inserting this into this conversation, as, as these people are consumed with the Sabbath and holiness and self-righteousness and all these things, we can lose the fact that there's a miracle that's taken place. Please don't ever lose the fact that miracles are happening every day. And here's the other miracle. If you have relationship with God by basis of your faith in Christ, every breath you take is a miracle. Because Christ has come to this earth to live the life that you couldn't so that you could have a relationship with him. He died a death that you should have died so you could have a relationship with God. Miracle. And the, the bigger miracle than that is that even in the midst of our sin, Christ died. And even in the midst of our continual sin, Christ died and still offers forgiveness. Don't miss the miracles. Let's go back to our verse. Verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So what's happened here is... This man that was, was blind and now he can see is in front of the Pharisees and they've said, this guy Jesus can't be from God because he did this on the Sabbath day. And talk about that for a second. This, what Jesus did by creating this mud and putting this guy's, this, on this guy's eyes and making him blind, these Pharisees have decided was breaking the Sabbath. But 
Nothing in, in the Bible says that Jesus can't do what he did. What the law that he's breaking is the Mishnah. And the Mishnah is a set of 39 laws that the Pharisees created about the Sabbath. All right? This is important. The Pharisees took the law that's in Scripture about the Sabbath and built 39 laws around those, that law so as to not break them. In other words, if I'm going to die if I walk out into the, like, into the parking lot, I'm not going to walk outside the door. So the law of opening the doors is, is that same sort of mission of law to me. You follow that? It's a protection to keep you from stepping on a place you, you might be dangerous. But it's not a law of God. And this is what they're accusing Jesus of. This is what they're accusing this man of. Ultimately, all that's happening here is the Pharisees whose purpose was to introduce people to God, show people God, are, are blocking this man. They have put a block between Jesus and this man. So I, I want us to, to understand that the, the purpose of these Pharisees is to have, uh, to show these people towards what's happening here. Um, thanks guys. Uh, so you guys getting the, the illustration here? Like the point of this whole thing, this board, that's what the Pharisees have done. And that's what we do. And that's what self-righteousness does. If you meet my standards, then I'll take you to God. And like, this is, this is the point. We're, we, our self-righteousness many times blocks us from God. Please pardon that illustration. I'm not blocking you from me. We're blocking you from God. But we, we, have, to, we have to see that your self-righteousness puts a, puts a black barrier between you and what you intend to have relationship with. And it happens to you, like you block yourself. These Pharisees weren't just blocking this man born blind, they're blocking themselves as well. They're so consumed with doing the laws that they created that they miss Jesus. This is Jesus. This is miracle in front of them that they miss because they're consumed with their own self-righteousness. They think that better work, better effort gets them to God. And so do you. So do I. Let's keep going. Verse 17. So they said again to the man born blind, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. Here, here's the, the interesting part this week that I've seen. His response 
was calling Jesus a prophet. Like, yeah, Jesus is a prophet, but Jesus is not just a prophet. At this point, this, this man that was blind and now he can see does not see Jesus as Lord, does not see Jesus rightly. He sees Jesus partially. He's not just a prophet. But that's what he tells these people. Verse 18 is our second interaction. The Jews, the Pharisees with the man born blind's parents. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked him, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. Two facts. That's my son. And yes, he was blind at birth. Verse 21. But how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Verse 22. This is the point of this interaction that is found in verse 22. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Again, the people designed to bring people into relationship with God have put a block between these people and God. They've pulled out the covered chalkboard and put it between them and God. Verse 22. Let's, let's look at this again. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. We are so consumed, they are so consumed with their standing that it changes their behavior. Again, their son was blind. I can't imagine what would be happening in my heart if I had children that were born blind and then could, could see again. Not just children, but these, this is an adult child. This is an adult here. That was blind. He's been blind for years, and now he can see. And they're so consumed with how they're going to be perceived by these Pharisees that they deny the miracle that's happened. Uh, You're going to have to ask him. And like, it's so easy to to spot the, the error from these guys there, right? But it's a little harder to see ourselves in them How many times do we fear people more than we fear God? And that's like, as a kid growing up, not just as a kid, as an adult, I never, I, it was hard for me to understand what it means to, when we, when we say fear God. Like, like fear for me is like I'm scared that I'm going to get hurt or I'm scared that something bad is going to happen so I'm going to be afraid. That's not this kind of fear. It's it's a reverent respect, like, I, I, because of who you are 
and, and your perception of me, this is how I'm going to act. This is what I'm going to do. This is the, the fear of man is I want you to respect me. The fear of God is I trust you, I respect you, I fear you, I revere you. Therefore, I'm going to respond in this way. We fear man. All, you fear man. And like, it's one thing for me to stand up here and talk about it and us to read this out of John 9, 22 and think about the, the fear of man and, and we can nod our heads and maybe even write in our journals, I fear man more than I fear God. But what, what are you going to do with that? That's what the first part of what I said, engage this community. Where, go find a trusted friend and ask them, Where is my self-righteousness? Where do I fear man more than I fear God? What is true of me in that situation? And then speak. And here's the other thing. If you see that in one of your friends and you're silent, you are currently sinning. Stop it. God has created us, called us to live in community. And the other part, like this whole thing, this whole Message. The whole point of us gathering as a group called North Church is that we might know God more clearly than we did yesterday. And the way to do that, the way to live in that is to understand grace, understand the gospel, repent together, be led to repentance, lead people to repentance. All of those things give us Jesus more purely. And there are blocks to that. Your self-righteousness is a block to that. Your unwillingness to see your own sin is a block to that. Your unwillingness to help a friend walk through something like that is a block to that. It's great for us to send out a text when, our, when we need prayer because we're afraid we're going to have a miscarriage. That's an easy text to send. It's a hard text to send to say, I see this. Or it's, an even, it's a hard text to send to say, hey, would you point out my sin? Would you point out my self-righteousness? Will you point out these things in me? And it's a harder text to respond truthfully. But there's more at stake here than somebody's feelings of you. What's at stake here is Jesus. Relationship with him pure relationship with him. But these people are afraid. Verse 24 is the encounter with Jesus. I'm sorry. Back to the Pharisees with the man born blind again. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know is that I was blind and now I see. So they say, the leaders say he was a sinner. He says, I don't know. All I know is I can see now. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He sarcastically answered them. I added sarcastically, by the way. I've told you already, and you wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Like, he's just picking at them. That's just 
blatant sarcasm. He knows they'd hate this man and want to kill him. He says, do you want to be his disciples? Why are you so worried about this? And their response is reviling him, which basically is calling him wrong and in a, in a really profound and aggressive way, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. Look at him, self-righteous, listing their list of qualifications. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. Like, they're so consumed with where Jesus came from, where this guy came from, if he fits into their religious details, the stuff that they made up, the rules that they made up, they're so worried about that that they miss the fact that this guy wasn't, isn't blind anymore. They miss the miracle. They're so consumed with trying to fit Jesus into their box that they miss the miracle. Are you consumed with fitting Jesus into your box that you miss the miracle? The answer is yes, you are. Verse 30, let's read it again. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, then God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. The hypocrisy of verse 36 is astounding. They answered him, You were born in utter sin. And you would teach us? You, you know what's inferred there? You're born in sin, but I'm not. And as we, like I've talked a lot about living in community and, and helping find each other's sin and, and being real and honest with that. Please don't be a Pharisee there. Anyone who you ever help to find their sin and help them to repent of that sin, you're in the same boat with them in desperate need of repentance and desperate need of forgiveness. Just like these Pharisees are. You were born in utter sin and you would teach us. Yes. Here, like, this is the, like, two weeks ago, or no, a week ago, a week ago yesterday, I was uh, at a family reunion, and I'm the pastor. Guess what that means? I get to do every, every second Saturday in June. I get to pray. And every Saturday, every second Saturday in June, the same one or two people come up to me and say, I hear you're going to pray. Keep it short, young man. <laughs> and one of these days, I'm going to... That's not, I say that all the time. I'm not going to do this. <laughs> one of these days, I really want to teach a sermon about our access to God. 
There is nothing about me or these Pharisees or this man born blind or the man born blind's parents or anyone who's ever taken a breath that's any different. We're born in sin. We're saved by grace through faith alone. And if we have received Jesus as our substitutionary atonement, we now have relationship with God and now we have the same access to God. Romans 5 teaches us that. You have access to God by grace through faith. So we all are on the same level. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us and they cast him out. Do you see what self-righteousness has done? They put him out of the temple and at this point in the life of, of Jerusalem. Jesus has not yet died. He's not yet torn the veil of the temple. We have not yet had perfect access. The only way to worship God in their belief system was in the temple. And now these religious, these protectors of, of God have cast this guy out, have blocked him from God. The closest person in this story to really seeing Jesus for who he is now can't go into the temple anymore. Self-righteousness destroys you and the people around you. Here's the really cool part. Jesus now interacts with the man born blind. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him. Like, that's so sweet and simple. Jesus found out that the people that were supposed to be ushering him into the presence of God had cast him away from the presence of God So he brought his presence of God to this guy. Is that beautiful? The marginalized by the church, Jesus goes to them. He didn't go out looking for Jesus. Never once in this story did he go out looking for Jesus. Like he's just sitting there and Jesus walks by and he's now, you can see, and now after this interaction with the Pharisees, after he's been put out of the temple, Jesus finds him like that ought to put a smile on your face when we are broken by the self-righteousness of others when we are destroyed when we are hurt it's there when jesus comes to you like i'm seeing grandma's footprints poem but it's it's beautiful it's it's the truth Jesus heard that they'd cast him out, and having found him, he said, he confronted him with the truth of who he was. Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? In other words, he doesn't know this is the Son of Man right in front of him. He doesn't know this is Jesus. He knows this is Jesus. Jesus is a prophet to him at this point. Verse 37, Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. I want to, again, reiterate what this word believed means. Believes is the Greek word pistueo, and it means the conviction and trust to which a man is impelled by a certain inner and higher prerogative and law of soul to trust in Jesus or God. 
So when we hear believes, and it's used more times in the book of John than any other passage, John 3.16, everybody's favorite verse, whoever believes in him, it's not just I believe that there was a guy named Jesus who existed. There's more to this word. It, is, it changes the law of our soul. The law of our soul is the thing that predicts our behavior. The thing that causes us to react. Like, I love sports. There's a law of soul in my heart that if a game is on right there, this is what I'm going to do. I'm like moving towards it. Or if there's a ball somewhere, I want to go play like a, like a dog, right? That's a law of soul. To believe in Jesus is to have your law of soul changed so that it predicts how you respond to circumstance. This is what it means to believe in Jesus. It's no good to believe that there was a guy named Jesus. The demons believe that. Satan believes that. But they don't pistueo that. It's vital for us to come to grips. The miracle that was performed in this man's life is useless if it doesn't lead to this. And what is the response of this man? I believe in you. And he fell down and worshipped him. Law of soul made him do it. Verse 39 kind of overlaps Jesus interacting with the man born blind and the Pharisees. Jesus says, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. In other words, those who are aware of their need for me, I will meet them there. Those who don't think they need me, they're going to stay there. If you don't think you need me, then okay, just go ahead and see how that works out for you. And that's Jesus engaging this man. You have come to this realization that you need something to take you to God. You Pharisees, you haven't come to that place yet. You're still trusting in yourself, your self-righteousness to get you to God. And you know what you're going to do? You will be blind. And that's a metaphor for you will be in hell. That's a big deal. Let's end this morning with the last two verses. Jesus interacting with the self-righteous people. And by the way, yes, we're all self-righteous. Verse 40. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Like, how you're just dumb. Of course, that's what he's talking about. But, like, we, let let me, let me say this to you. You are not as good as your right beliefs make you. You, you. You hear me? You might have everything lined up theologically perfectly. You're not as good as those right beliefs make you. 
There's sin that's present in your life that needs to be rooted out, needs to be repented of. Sin that you have no idea is even there, but somebody next to you probably does. And the result of that is Jesus. And so we wind up walking around our lives, walking around this church, walking around at our office, whatever it is, walking around along with our friends with the frame of mind that causes these Pharisees to say, am I, am I, am I blind? Yes. That's the answer to that question. Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But you say, we see, so your guilt remains. In other words, no thanks, Jesus, I got this. Your guilt is going to stay on you. If you acknowledge, you realize, you run to Jesus and beg of him for his help, and he provides it. This is the offer that Jesus makes to you. Believe in me. Believe in me. We've encountered Jesus, and he stands before you and says to you, believe in me. Let's pray. Great and holy and mighty God, change us, please. Make us aware of our self-righteousness. Make us aware of our failure as people. Show us your son, Jesus. God, give us courage to speak into our own hearts. Give us courage for those around us to speak into our own hearts. See our sin. Give us ability and opportunity and courage to repent. And Father, more than any of that, give us your son, Jesus. You're beautiful and mighty and powerful and so far above us. God, may we see you and see your grace and may it change us that we might say in all that we do, I was blind and now I see because of what Jesus has done. In Christ's perfect name.